Okay, okay, happy forum, happy forum. If you're here, I'm glad you're here, I'm glad you're listening. We have no uh, talk this week, uh, because uh, this Sunday is Purim, and uh, we'll be running around doing Shalach Munis and, and all the uh, all the special things. And But I, I just, uh, I very much wanted to send something out for this Purim. And um, so here it is, <laughs> just something that I've been thinking about, which uh, was sort of blowing my mind, and I, I just wanted to pass it on to you guys. Uh, so... Um, so, you know, a lot of times we go through life and it's, it's, um, we're dealing with whatever's going on in the moment. And, you know, that's, that's definitely one approach because we have to be in the moment. So, so there's, there are very great advantages to that. But at the same time, if we don't know what's on the horizon, sometimes we, derive, we d- deprive ourselves of the pleasure of, of anticipation of all the things. So sometimes it's sort of like, oh, and now I'm in Hawaii, or now I'm in Israel, or whatever it is. But that trip was planned for weeks, and there's something special also to sort of like that level of yearning, that, that, that level of looking forward, that um, if you're only in the moment, that you deprive yourself uh, of. Now, unfortunately... <laughs> A lot of people sort of misuse this sort of like looking forward because we, we worry and we, we imagine events that are terrible in our future that are never going to happen and then we, we worried for nothing. So I'm talking about using this uh, in, the, in the positive way right now. So why am I bringing it up? Because uh, Purim is coming and then right after that, 30 days later, we have Pesach already and then 50 days after that, we have Shavuos. So right now we're at this golden, golden, golden time in, in our calendar where it's like Purim and Pesach and Shavuos and it's just, it's just worth just taking a moment to exhale and to realize like all these incredible simchas are coming up, you know? I mean, we look at, we look at the holidays as sometimes, uh, I don't know. I mean, if there's a if there's a wedding that you're going to participate in, either you're getting married or someone in your family is getting married, it's a it's a, it's a big occasion, and 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 these are simchas for 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 all of us. Purim, Pesach, Shavuos, you know, it's these are these are great parties. Um, okay, so so let's just take a moment to to appreciate that there are wonderful, wonderful things coming up on the calendar. Now, let's go a little bit deeper now, okay? So, Purim and Shavuos. Let's talk about the, the interrelationship between those two things. And then uh, we're going to go deeper and deeper, okay? So, so let me give you the, the kind of the, the, the straight way of understanding it, the, the sort of like the conventional way of understanding it, and um, then we'll explore it further, okay? So Shavuos historically happened first. Shavuos um, is the holiday that celebrates our acceptance uh, of the Torah, receiving the Torah at Mount Sinai, 50 days after we left Egypt. Okay? Now, now Purim happens uh, many, many years later. That's, um, I don't even know how many years later. Hun- at least hundreds and hundreds of years later. Okay? Uh, so maybe close to a thousand years later, let's say. So, so on Purim, if you look at the end of the Megillah, there's a very interesting turn of phrase, and the Gemara understands that to understand that we re-accepted the Torah at the at the end of the the uh, whole um, the whole uh, Purim uh, uh, situation. Okay, so so what does that mean? We re-accepted the Torah when we accepted the Torah. Uh, 
the first time that was that was forever so what what does that mean we have to what does that mean we reaccepted the torah so there are many answers given to this um, let me focus in on on one answer right now which is that the the talmud explains that when we got the torah the very first time hashem lifted Mount Sinai above our heads and said, either you accept it now or this is going to become your burial place. So that's, that's, that's pretty intense. That's pretty intense. What does it mean? Did, did that actually happen? I don't know. Maybe it did. Maybe it did. But, but certainly it's, it's at the very least talking about it on this level as well. And I believe the, the Maharal says this, but if you, if you think about it, it's, it's kind of pushed. It's kind of very straightforward. You see, when, when, when the Torah was given, it says there was thunder and lightning, a chauffeur blast that the entire world heard that just got louder and louder and louder and louder and louder and louder and louder. And louder, and louder. Unlike a human chauffeur blast, which gets louder and then softer because you run out of breath. Um, our souls literally flew out of our bodies. Um, there was an earthquake. The, the 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 desert mountain burst into flowers. We could read what Hashem was saying with letters of fire in the sky. Um, we we heard colors and we saw words. That's one of the understandings because as Hashem spoke, the the letters uh, manifested themselves like fire in the horizon. So we saw letters. But this is called synesthesia, where you hear colors and um, and see words. Okay, so it's like all of our senses were rearranged. That's the point. Um, so from all of these things, um, all these things basically are saying the same thing as the mountain being held over our head. What it means is, is that free choice was suspended because um, you see. You see, human beings are fundamentally different from angels, and then angels have free choice. That, or rather, humans have free choice. Angels do not have free choice. That comes from the fact that angels have a, a, a an exponentially higher revelation of their understanding of godliness. Now, remember, even the angels say, "Where is the place of His glory?" So, even angels don't fully fathom the completeness of God because God exists even realms beyond that. Nonetheless, angels have such a, such a greater understanding of godliness that they're paralyzed, um, meaning to say they, they don't have the ability to do anything wrong because their consciousness is so, so expansive and they're so comprehending God in the moment that they, that they can't do anything wrong, you know, because just the, the reality of God is in front of them. Human beings, on the other hand, we live in a, in, a, in a dimension where God is so concealed that we say, well, you know, who's looking? <laughs> right? Who's looking? You know, the famous story, I, I believe it's uh, with the Chofetz Chaim, where he's with a wagon driver, and uh, the wagon driver says to, says to, whether it was the Chofetz Chaim or some great rabbi, he says to him, listen, I'm going to stop right here. There's an orchard over there. I want to grab an apple. You be like my lookout. Tell me if anyone is watching. And, of course, there was, there was no one there, which is why he felt he could do this. By the way, there's a word for what he was doing. It's called stealing, because that orchard did not belong to him. So he's going, and he's about to pick an apple. 
And the rabbi yells, they're watching, they're watching. And he looks around, he doesn't see anyone. And he looks back to the rabbi who points up at the sky and he says, they're watching, they're watching. So, so, so Hashem is concealed in this world. You see, it's, it's the great irony because there's nothing but Hashem. There's nothing but Hashem. But because he so saturates all of reality, at the same moment he's absolutely omnipresent. He's everywhere. He's in everything. But at the same time, it looks like he's not even here. This is, this is by the way, the human condition. This is the, the, the great paradox that we live in. But the ultimate reality we know, which is that Hashem is here and Hashem is everywhere. So, so given that, given that, we have free choice. And, um, you know, as we mentioned, that's what the very first letter of the Torah is coming to tell us. Remember, the, the Torah is the blueprint of all of reality. God looked into the Torah and then he created the world. Okay, the very first letter of the entire Torah is the letter Bez, which, which means two uh, in Gematria. It's the second letter of the, of the uh, alphabet, right? Aleph Bez. Bez is number two. And it stands for so many things, but it also stands for free choice. means... I can do this or I can do that, right? So, so that's, that's why God is concealed in this realm, to give us free choice. So why? Why? So that God can just hide and we can be baffled our entire lives and not know what's going on? No. So that we can have the incredible, 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 beyond, beyond, beyond privilege of choosing to do the right thing. And this makes us greater than angels. That's the awesome thing. We're greater than angels because we're actually choosing to do the right thing. That's, that's an amazing thing. Okay. So, what happened when we accepted the Torah at Mount Sinai initially? It was, we were like angels. See, that's what it means. Our souls flew out of our bodies, right? It's like we comprehended the reality of God with such certainty that we didn't have free choice. That's the whole idea. I'll drop the mountain on top of you right now if you don't accept it. That means you don't have free choice. If someone puts a gun to your head, to what extent do you have free choice to, to listen to them, to do or to not do? Yes, on some, some level you still have free choice. But on some level your free choice is completely taken away. That's what the rabbis are coming to tell us. Um, with the level of the acceptance at at Mount Sinai. It was so fundamental. It was so fundamental. We accepted it in such a deep way, like on the level of angels, but not like on the level of human beings, because it wasn't with free choice, which is our fundamental attribute. That's what makes a person a person. When it says that we were created in the image of God, many rabbis understand what that means. Not that God has a body, God forbid. Right? What that means is that just like God has free choice, we have free choice. And that's our most godly quality, okay? But it's also our most human quality, and it's what separates us from the angels themselves. Okay, so now comes Purim. What happens with Purim is God is utterly, 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 utterly concealed. It looks like, remember, we're, we're, we're exiled from, from Israel. It's like contextualized Purim in, in, in terms of the, uh, history. It happens after we were exiled by the Babylonians, after the first base at Migdash, the first holy temple, right, which was like a place of miracles. Every day there were ongoing miracles there. You could see them with your own eyes. 
They were all testifying to the existence of Hashem and to the fact that the Shekhinah, God's like presence, was was dwelling here amongst the Jewish people, and you could, you could see it with your own eyes. All nations, not just the Jews, all nations could bring sacrifices. It says that God's house is a house for all peoples. Okay, everyone had this revelation. Nonetheless, the the Babylonians wanted to vanquish it. And they came in and they destroyed the base of Mikdash, the holy temple. And now all of a sudden, for the first time since we entered Israel from Egypt, okay, this is now like a thousand years later. I mean, just to, I'm, I'm trying to emphasize this so that we could, so that we should appreciate on a psychological level the level of trauma that, that, that we went through at this point in our history. We were exiled from our land. Okay, that hadn't happened since Egypt, all right? We've been dwelling there for a thousand years. So, so this is intense. This is very, very intense. And now all of a sudden we're like servants and we're like taken away in chains to, to Babylonia. We're forced to bow down but before this, this like idol of Nebuchadnezzar. It's like, it's horrific. The whole thing is horrific. And, uh, and now we're asking ourselves this incredible question. Is God still our God? Is the Torah still our Torah? Maybe it's like a husband and a wife, and we've just been divorced. That's what we asked ourselves. That, that question, I'm not being metaphorical right now. This was their words. Maybe God gave us a get. Maybe God divorced us. Is it possible? See, later religions want to say that that's what happened to the Jewish people. It, it didn't happen here a thousand years before they wanted to say it. And it didn't happen later either. Because God never divorces us. Because God made an eternal covenant with us. An eternal covenant with us that will never, ever, ever, ever be broken. And our mere existence, the fact that we exist today in this far-flung exile so many years later is testimony to the fact that God has never, ever, ever divorced us and never will. Can't. Won't. He gave us our word that he would be our God forever. Okay, but now, it's very easy to say right now. Maybe it's not so easy to say right now. <laughs> but it's true right now. Ah, but what about, what about at the time of Purim? What about after we've been exiled from our land and the temple has been destroyed? What happens then? So, and now, now Haman comes and he says that he wants to do a mass genocide and kill every single one of us. It's not just enough that we've been taken out of the land. Now every single one of us is going to be killed. So what happens now? Well, what happens is, is that God makes it all work out. It all works out. And we saw God's hand, that he's guiding events, even when it looks like he's not there. Even when we're in exile. Even when we're outside the land of Israel. Even when there's no holy temple based on Migdash. Even when we don't have all of the trappings of what it classically means to be Jewish in the historical sense. And what we had just experienced. Even without all of those trappings, without all of those things, we see, wow, there's still a God. He's still our God. We're still his people. We're still married. It's still, it's, the game is still on. It's still going on. So at that point, we re-accepted the Torah. 
but we re-accepted the, the Torah from a totally different level. Not from this place of having no free choice, which is what happened at Mount Sinai, when all these miracles went on that we couldn't not. We wanted to accept the Torah, even then, by the way. But, but at the moment of acceptance, it was beyond the level of free choice. Now, now it was on the level of free choice. And that, in a way, was an even greater acceptance, or it was a, a finishing of the, of the acceptance. Okay? So, so, another way that people classically phrase the two acceptances of the Torah between Shavuos and Purim is that we did it on the level of Yira. Yira is, is, is translated as fear, but there are two levels of Yira. Uh, in English, they would correlate with fear and awe. There's uh, a lower level of yira, which is like, if I don't do this, I'm going to get a patch, right? I'm, it's uh, you know, but the, that's that's not such a spiritual level, but it's a real level and it's important. The higher level of yira is like the I heard in the name of the Baal Shem Tov. If you rearrange the Hebrew letters of the word yira, it spells the word to see in Hebrew, where where it's like this is the level of awe where you see it in front of you. That, means, that doesn't mean that you have an image of God um, in the sense that he has a form, but the reality of God is so clear to you that you understand that wherever you are, you're standing in the king's palace, right? And you don't want to mess up anything. You don't want to disturb the slightest thing because you're so overwhelmed by the majesty of God. So that's, that was the level of acceptance at Mount Sinai. The level of acceptance after Purim when it seemed like God wasn't there, and then we looked back and we realized that he was there every single second, that was on the level of Ava. Alright, that means love. So, so Purim is the acceptance of the Torah on the level of love. Alright. Now that's all just background to get to what I want to say today. Okay? That, well, everything I just told you, you can read in a book. But now I want to say something more. Alright, now... The way the calendar works, see, the calendar works so deeply. It works so deeply. Because, you see, Nisan is the first month of the year. Nisan is, is when we celebrate the, the holiday of Pesach. Passover, we're leaving Egypt. Okay. Then comes Er, then comes Sivan. Sivan is uh, 50 days later after we left Egypt, and that's when we we accept the Torah at Mount Sinai. Okay. And then, months and months later, we have Purim. Okay, so good. So this follows the historical order. First we accept the Torah on the level of Yira, right? That's, that's without free choice. That's at Mount Sinai. Then we go through the whole hiddenness of God in Purim. And we accept it on the level of love. On the, we accept it on the level of free choice. It's all good. All right. But now let's just zoom in, zero into right now, today. Okay? What comes first? Pesach or Shavuos? <laughs> well, all I know is that right after Shabbos, it's going to be Purim. And then 30 days later, it's going to be Shavuos. So in terms of the way that I'm living my life, right now Purim is coming first, and then Shavuos is coming first. 
Okay. So now, now we're getting deeper. You see, because Purim is the re-acceptance of the Torah. And then comes the Torah. So can I ask you something? How can I accept the Torah again right now, if right now it's Purim? If I haven't had Shavuos yet, looking forward? If I haven't had Shavuos yet? I understand that I've been through a Shavuos before, but, but just don't... We're looking at it in, a, in another way right now, from the standpoint of today, looking forward. How can I re-accept the Torah right now if I haven't had Shavuos yet? If I haven't accepted the Torah yet? You know, when I was growing up, there was a, a commercial. You know, certain commercials, they stick in your head, right? So there was a cookie. And the the the, cook, the the commercial would go like this. It was they were called nutter butters, I think, and 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 the commercial went like this. The the person say would say, "Can I have a nutter butter sandwich cookie?" And then the person would say, "How can you have a nut a, a nutter butter sandwich cookie if you haven't had one yet?" So they were making a play on word nutter butter and another butter, right? So can I have another butter sandwich cookie? How can you have another butter sandwich cookie if you haven't had one yet? Meaning to say, how can I already, how can I be re-accepting the Torah on the level of Purim, because it's Purim, if I haven't had Shavuos yet, if I haven't accepted the Torah yet? Okay, so the question, I, I guess, is clear right now. So I want to say like this. You see, right now we have to ask ourselves this question. If I'm re-accepting the Torah right now, the question is, did I really accept it the first time? Let me explain. Let me explain. You see, a lot of us, some of us grew up, you know, with the Torah since, since birth. And what I'm about to say even applies to people with this background. Uh, a lot of us came to it later on in our lives, whenever it was. And a certain point hit us where we said, Hey, listen, you know, who am I fooling? I can fool a million people, right? But I'm a Jew. I have a soul. My soul comes from God. I have to take it seriously. I'm a Jew. What can I do? What can I do? I have to take it seriously. I have to look into it. And so we look into it, and then we start to keep things. And then, later, later on in our lives, we reach a point where we understand things even more deeply than when we took it on the very first time. And now, this is like Purim now, with Shavuos coming up. Now comes the level of re-accepting the Torah. And the question is, the first time when I accepted the Torah in my life, the first time that I realized, you know something, God is real, On what level did I accept it in my own life? And, uh, in other words, what's my foundation? What is my foundation? You see, 
you see, it gets deeper. Because the Gomorrah says, in Gomorrah Nida, it says that when all of us are first born, an angel comes to us and makes us swear. We swear that we're going to be righteous and we're going to keep the Torah. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? We have no memory of this. But can you imagine the first thing that we do is like orientation? You know? The first thing that we did, the Gomorrah says, when we enter into this world, as soon as we leave the womb, as soon as we're born, is we swear to God that we're going to be righteous. You know, all of life, all of life, see, and, it, and, it's, and it's even more than that. Because it says that in the womb itself we learn the Torah from an angel. And it's even more than that, because it says in the, in the Chumash itself, it says that all of us, all of you who are here, meaning this is Moshe talking, all of you who are here and all of you who are not here, and all the rabbis say that that means all the people who are going to be born in later generations, which means you and me today, we're standing at Mount Sinai, which means that our souls were all at Mount Sinai. So it means that all of us were there, and then we got the Torah again, and then in our own lives, we receive the Torah again when we arrive at the fact that, you know something, life is deeper than I can understand with just my brain. There's so much more going on, and you know what? I look around, and as mysterious as life is, there's an order. It's not falling apart. It's not falling apart. The... The world has an order. It's, it's beyond my ability to grasp all the details of it. It's mysterious to me. But it's not random. You know what randomness is? Randomness is that you're holding a banana and it turns into a bird and then it turns into a baseball bat and then it turns into a book. Right? And then it turns into a mass of molecules that have no form whatsoever. That's randomness. The world is not random. The world continues in a certain way. It's just beyond my ability to grasp. But I know that there's an order. And so it seems that we walk from lifetime to lifetime, from era to era. We live in a kaleidoscope. Do you know what a kaleidoscope is? You look through it, and then you turn it, and then the picture changes, and then it changes again, and then it changes again. This happens during an individual life, and it, turn, and it happens over the course of history. As we get born and reborn into different eras in history, the kaleidoscope keeps on changing. And every single new configuration is an opportunity for us to re-accept the Torah, to re-believe in God, to re-love each other. You see, imagine a couple, right? Uh, a man and a woman. And imagine they're very rich. And the man says to the woman, Do you love me now? And she says, I love you now. And then, imagine they lose all their money. The man says to the woman, Do you love me now? Do you still love me? She says, I still love you. Now imagine, Chas Shalom, one of them becomes very sick. And says to the other, Do you love me now? And she says, I still love you now. I love you now. 
Now imagine they get better, right? But now they're at war and they're both taken hostage. He says, do you love me now? She says, I love you now. Now imagine one of them has to go on a trip and is gone for many years. And somehow he writes her a letter. She gets the message. And the message says, do you love me now? And she's able to send back the message. And she says, I love you now. And now imagine they're reunited again. And he says, do you love me now? She says, I love you now. You see, this is our life. This is our life. This is the conversation between us and God throughout each individual day, throughout our lifetime, throughout all of our lifetimes, throughout all of history. This is what's going on. This is Purim. This is Shavuos. This is the reacceptance. But it's also from the standpoint of the reacceptance of Purim, we look back at our foundation and we say, when I accepted it initially, knowing that I kn- what I know now, did I accept it enough? You see, imagine, imagine a couple, right? And they love each other the most, 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 most. And now, now one of them looks back at the first time that they met, when they first said, I love you. And he says, you know something, I didn't love you enough. As much, as much as I told you I loved you then, and I did, and I believed it, and I spoke to you with all my heart. Now that I realize how much I love you now, when I look back, oh, I didn't love you enough. I didn't love you enough. So you see, this is Purim and this is Shavuos. Purim is looking back on our initial acceptance of the Torah and saying, God, now that I'm accepting it out of love, now that I know that you're with me no matter what I go through, even if I can't see you, now I look back on my initial acceptance and I go, you know what, it wasn't enough. It has to be more. It has to be more. I wish it could be more. You know, I heard, I heard in the name of the Lubavitcher Rebbe, something very interesting and I realized after the fact after I I thought of these things that it's very similar to what he said about a different subject so uh, hopefully this is a good sign that what I'm saying is is really uh, for real because I think that you're going to hear the same thought from the Lubavitcher Rebbe in one second so the Lubavitcher Rebbe says that at each person's life as they grow in spirituality they have to look back on their mistakes and do tshuva on their old mistakes. They have to kind of fix up their old mistakes from their new higher level of awareness of God. In other words, it's sort of like, now I say, I, how could I have done that? But then as I become even greater, I look back on that same thing and I go, I, how could I have done that? Now, don't misunderstand this teaching. Don't misunderstand it. This is not a... Uh, uh, marching orders to beat ourselves up with ever larger pieces of wood. That's not, that's not the point. That's not the point. That's not the point. You know, when you do tshuva, you do tshuva. It's clean. You can move on with your life. And, and that's what it is. But at the same time, there is this appreciation that, that when we're moving forward and we're getting greater, we're also, you know, it's almost like this. Imagine I've got like 
a stain on the floor. And uh, I sweep it up. And it's all good. I look at my eye. I see there's no dirt there. And I sweep it up. But now imagine I get glasses. <laughs> and I look at that same spot. And I go, oh, you know, so there's still a little thing there. And you clean it up better. And now imagine, you know, my eyes are like the best eyes in the world. And I look back down and I go, oh, you know, so there's still a tiny little thing there. You know, so I just clean that up. Right? So this is, again, poor mutualist. Poor I'm re-accepting. But I'm not just re-accepting. I'm re-accepting and looking back and asking myself, was my initial acceptance what it should be now that I realize how great it all really is? So I'm having a shvuas through the eyes of Purim. I'm standing at Mount Sinai through the eyes of having my life saved, you know, from Muhammad after I thought it was all over and I realized God was there every step of the way. So... Let me just say one more thing. One more thing about happiness. You see, people go through life, and and uh, and 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 there are different options that are available for people. One option is I can say, you know what? Right now, I have a particular need, whatever it is. Maybe multiple needs, whatever they are. Hashem should bless us. He should grant us all of our heart's desires. You know, I heard such a powerful teaching. Hashem keeps the Torah too. And uh, on Purim, there's a halacha that anyone who opens their hand to you, anyone who asks you for money, you have to give them something. Okay? And uh, at least a kind word. Right? At least a word of encouragement if you do, and a smile if you don't have any money to give them. And... Uh, but, so if that's the case, then what about us and Hashem? If we ask, if Hashem keeps the mitzvahs, right? So, so it's a great time to pray your heart out, right? It's a great, great time to pray your heart out on Purim. Um, so anyway, we all have our needs. And, uh, and Hashem should bless us that they should all be met. Um, but we can say, Going forward with our lives in terms of our uh, our spiritual state or our mental state, we can say the following: You know what? Right now, it's not happening, and that makes me sad. So I'm going to be sad until it changes, and then if it comes my way, then I'll be happy. By the way, most people say that doesn't work <laughs> because if your happiness is contingent on something on the outside happening, it's not going to happen. You'll be unhappy about something else. Believe it or not. It's kind of heartbreaking, but we have to know how we work. So, or I can say, look, God is good. God provides. And I don't know what the future holds. You see, this idea that right now it's not happening for me, and I'll, you know, I'll suspend disbelief. I'm not going to be a believer, but I'll just suspend disbelief at least. And I'll say, you know what? When it happens, then then I'll be happy. Okay? But the reality is, is that we never know what the next day holds. That's based on the fact that you think you, you know what the, what the future holds. We don't, we don't know what the future holds. Tomorrow could be a thousand times worse, and then we could beg God for what yesterday was. 
God forbid, I'm, I'm, I'm not saying, but I'm just saying that we, if we don't know what the future holds, and that's accurate, and we'd all attest to that, then, then, then basing my entire emotional foundation on a, a future event is silly, because I, I, don't, I don't know what's going to happen. Okay, or I can decide to be happy today. I can make the decision that I can be happy today because I don't know what tomorrow is going to be. And, and oddly enough, the more optimistic sort of scenario turns out to be the more intelligent one and the more intellectually grounded one. Because, because if all of my plans are built on a future that I have no idea what's going to happen, then, then, then that's a very shaky foundation. But I know what's happening right now. So at least I know what's happening right now. And if I make the decision to say, look, I'm going to decide that it's going to be good. God, prove me wrong. <laughs> I'm going to live like it's going to be good. Prove me wrong. And then the reality is, is that if it doesn't happen, you've decided to live your life like it's going to happen, so you're happy right now. And if it does happen, when that outside thing comes in, you'll be even more happy. And it will be a realer happiness, because you won't just uh, revert back to your previous state. Like most people do, they say, okay, if, when their happiness is contingent on an outside event. When they say, oh, right now I'm not happy, if X happens I will be happy, everyone will tell you it doesn't work. X happens and then the people go back to the state that they're used to. It makes sense, because we've trained ourselves to be that way. It's very hard to rewire our brains, right? But if we decide, and this takes work, obviously, to be happy right now and go, okay, I'm going to be happy no matter what. I'm going to be happy no matter what. Then when the event happens, we'll be even more happier and it will be a real lasting happiness. And in, during the, the time being, we'll also be happy. Okay, so obviously this takes work. This takes a lot of work. And there are great tapes out there, by the way, um, that you can listen to you know about positive thinking and everything like that, which I really recommend. Play them in your car or on your iPod or whatever it is, because um, this is some of our most important work to do. Uh, because this is kind of like, you know, if you can decide to be happy, what you're literally doing is writing yourself a check, depositing it in your, in your human bank account, in your, in your, in your, in your, in, in, in the bank account of your brain and your soul and your unconscious and you're cashing your own checks. Can you imagine every day you could write a check for a million dollars and cash it and you really got the million dollars? Well, that's what it is if you can actually teach yourself how to be positive and to be happy. Every day you're literally writing your check for yourself a check for a million dollars and the bank is clearing it. So Hashem should bless us with the greatest Purim. With the greatest Purim. We should be able not only to accept the Torah in love and accept each other with love and with tolerance and with goodness, with all of our faults and with all of our blemishes, you know, to see the good in each other, to celebrate the good in each other, and uh, also to go down to the deepest, deepest rooted level to be able to look at our foundation and to look back and go, ah, now that I know what it is, I'm accepting it initially on an even greater level and to know that life is a kaleidoscope like it just keeps on turning it keeps on changing and at every single new situation we have a chance to say to our beloved 
Ah, I love you now. I still love you. I still love you. In fact, you know what? I love you even more.